a, a lot of hours about what that means, but uh, to summarize, uh, we translate from the Greek Texas Receptus, we translate from the Hebrew Masoretic, and we translate with a word for word equivalency. Uh, we don't believe that it's the translator's job uh, to tell people what we think God meant. It's the translator's job just to simply tell people what God said. And if you have any questions about that, we'd love to answer those. And uh, we praise the Lord uh, uh, for Worldview Ministries. Um, I wouldn't be a good pastor or a good missionary if I didn't beg all pastors in here for a meeting. So if you have any questions about us, we'd love to give you a booklet, and we would love to uh, beg you for a meeting. I, I make about 500 phone calls a year, uh, and we've been in about 90 churches in Ohio. But some of you, we haven't been in your church yet, and so uh, you will be hearing from us. No, uh, we'd love to uh, present Worldview Ministries. We have found that looking at the Great Commission from a language standpoint uh, has really been a shot in the arm for a lot of missions programs. And so we do present Worldview Ministries in many missions conferences. And by the way, we are fully supported. Uh, we are not uh, calling churches uh, for um, support uh, personally. Uh, and so we praise the Lord for the churches that we've had the privilege to be in. Uh, it's been a great day already. We praise the Lord. Pastor, thank you for entrusting me with your pulpit. Uh, thank you, Anchor Baptist, for hosting this meeting. Uh, thank you for each and every one of you that had a part in the music uh, so far. It's been wonderful. Uh, we praise the Lord for those who have been working diligently on the food. It smells amazing. And uh, so it's just been a great day. I appreciate so much the sermons that we've heard already uh, this morning. And uh, in addition, to the great preaching. I appreciate so much um, Pastor Wolven's uh, uh, friendship and testimony as well as Pastor Griffiths. And so we appreciate you men very much and uh, praise the Lord uh, for you. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me uh, this morning to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter number 10. An Ohio State fan. Yeah. For some, that's the first you've said amen in church in a long time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> An Ohio State fan and a Michigan fan, they were fighting side by side uh, in war and they were captured during World War II and sentenced to die by firing squad. The enemy commander asked the Michigan fan if he had any last requests. The Michigan fan said, yes, I want to hear hail to the victor one last time. The Ohio State fan was then asked if he had any last requests and he said, yes, shoot me first. <laughs> um, we want to talk about that uh, topic today, me First, we want to talk about that. Me first. I believe there is a common concern for each and every one of us that are in ministry, and that common concern would be a fear of hypocrisy. A fear of hypocrisy. In other words, uh, while we are preachers of the gospel, uh, are we doing a good job at telling people about Jesus? Uh, while uh, we get taught, or while we get paid to teach and preach the Bible, the Word of God, are we spending time in God's Word on a daily basis like we should? I, I, that's what I'm talking about. Even the word ministry is convicting. We we praise the Lord to be in the ministry, but do we really enjoy being a servant? <laughs> And so I think for each and every one of us that are in the ministry, there is a, a common concern among all of us. We don't want to be hypocritical. We don't want to be hypocrites. And so uh, we want to discuss that topic uh, this morning in one aspect of life. And, uh, and notice with me Mark chapter 10, and begin. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? 
They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I believe that's a reference to verse number 33 as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his betrayal and his crucifixion. Verse 39, And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. And, and we know that each and every one of the disciples gave their life for the cause of Christ. Verse 40, But to sit on my, uh, on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Let's stop there. We'll look at some other verses in this text. Uh, for just a few minutes uh, this morning, let's look at this truth from this text. Me first. Me first. Uh, can you think about the last time that you have been humbled? <laughs> we all could go around the sanctuary this morning and give illustration after illustration of times that we have been humbled. I, I often will tell this story to my family, especially my boys. God's blessed us with five boys. And I, I've told this story many times. When I was in college, my grades were suffering a little bit. And I heard that they had this building called a library. And I decided, well, maybe it's time that I go visit the library. And uh, in this particular Bible college, the library was on the second floor of a building. And I remember I had my backpack with all of my books and all my study materials. And I'm walking up the steps uh, uh, to go to the library. And as as I get about halfway up the steps, um, there's a table at the top of the steps that I could see, and there was about five or six girls at the table. A bevy of beauties, I'll tell you right now. And I, I immediately went into cool mode. Now, for some of you, you're cool all the time, right? Uh, I had to actually try to be cool, and so I tried to, to go into cool mode. I put my hands in my, in my pocket, and I tried to walk as cool as I possibly could. When I get to the top of the steps, um, I tripped. Now, I want to remind you where my hands were. My hands were in my pocket. Have you ever tried to pull your hands out of your pocket when you've tripped? Uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's uh, impossible. And so I, I'm trying to get my hands out of my pocket. I've land right on my face. I, I just, you know, picking teeth, uh, 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 carpet out of my teeth, just right on my face with my hands still in my pocket. Uh, truly pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, in our story, the disciples are about to be humbled. Just three points uh, this morning, and then we'll make just a few applications. Uh, point number one, as we endeavor to tell this story, we see a selfish motive. Point number one, a selfish motive. Look at verse 35 again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, Matthew chapter 20 tells us, and this shouldn't surprise us at all, Matthew chapter 20 tells us that mama was in on this as well. That shouldn't surprise us, right? You can almost hear her say, now, Jesus, they're good boys. Jesus, they're really, they're really nice young men. You can almost hear her saying that. Um, and so that doesn't surprise us. Matthew 20 also tells us that they come worshiping. 
Almost like they're, they're buttering up the Lord, you know. I remember when my boys were really small, I said to them one time, I said, listen, uh, after dinner tonight, when you ask to be excused, uh, I want you to tell mom, mom, thank you for the delectable meal. Now, some of my boys were so small, they could hardly even say that. But uh, after dinner, sure enough, uh, I think it was my second son, Drew. He looks at mom, he looks at Amy, and he says, mommy, thank you for the delectable meal. And sure enough, all the other boys started chiming in. Yes, mommy, thank you for the delectable meal. Her immediate response was, what do you want? That's exactly what she said. What do you want? Well, Jesus asked the same thing in verse number 36. He said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? Verse 37, they said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. Now we know this, that is a position of royalty. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 2 in Psalms 45 and Psalms 80. Jesus uh, ascended and sat down on the right hand of God the Father. We see this in Hebrews 1 and 1 Peter chapter 3 and Mark chapter 14 and Mark chapter 16. Verse 38 in our text, Jesus, but Jesus said unto them, ye know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. Again, I believe he's referring to verses 33 and 34, where Jesus is going to be condemned and delivered and mocked and scourged and crucified. And of course, we know what happened at the crucifixion. They, uh, for the most part, all fled uh, at his arrest, humiliation and crucifixion. Continuing in verse 39, and Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, (laughs) this is so interesting, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Now why? We look at that and we say, well, obviously the rest of them are rising to a higher spiritual plane than James and John. No, not, not at all. Not at all. Mark chapter 9 and verses 33 through 37 tell us that the reason they were upset is because that's where they wanted to sit. Right? That's where they wanted to sit. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 18, 1, the Bible says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so this is the me first attitude. This is, uh, 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 and this attitude is not New. It is an age-old question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? The question did not originate in the book of Mark or in the book of Matthew. We find the question all the way back in the book of Genesis when the serpent said to Eve, ye shall not surely die. In Genesis 3, 5, he said, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now we know the rest of the story. Before Eve took the fruit, she contemplated the question, who is the greatest? Who's greater, me or God? Who am I going to please, God or myself? And Eve chose me first. She made the me first decision. By the way, the question goes back even further than Adam and Eve. Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. 
The answer to that haughty attitude is, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Before Lucifer fell from heaven, he entertained the question, who is greater? Who's great? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's more important, God or me? Who am I going to please, God or myself? And Satan made a me first decision. He said, I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Not only is it an age-old question, I think you'll agree with me uh, this morning, it is a question that has not gone away. The question is alive and well in 2023. Now we find the question has mutated a bit. It's morphed in its appearance, but it still lives. While the particulars have changed a bit, the premise is the same. Who is the greatest? And it's a question that you and I often ask in our heart of hearts, sadly. Who is the greatest? We see it, um, and those of you pastors here this morning, you know this, we see it in marriages today, don't we? And now, when, when we do marriage counseling, we don't often have a couple sit before us and, and we say, now, what is the problem? And they say, well, we're just trying to decide who's the greatest in the marriage. Now, no one's going to say that, but really, all conflict comes from who is the greatest. And so uh, we know that a marriage is often destroyed when two individuals fight over who is the greatest, who's more important, whose comfort, whose feelings, whose needs are more important, vying for position for our opinion, our way, our wishes, our desires. So we see it in marriages today. We see it in families today, don't we? Every member of the family has a certain responsibility and a family is in a, a family that is in constant conflict and chaos and controversy. It happens when they rebel against those responsibilities and argue and fight and vie for position over who is the most important. Sadly, we see it in churches today, don't we? Who's the greatest in the church? Every church split comes about when individuals plot and strategize over who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I didn't get recognized. I'm greater than that. I didn't get appreciated. I'm more important than that. My opinion was not received. I'm greater than that. And sadly, we see it in ministry. We see it in ministry. We see in our text that the (laughs) under-shepherds to the shepherd are vying for position over who is more important. And so the question still still exists. It's an age-old question that is alive and well in 2023. And you know this, the bottom line is pride. It's pride. Um, A man's pride shall bring him low. Those that walk in pride, he, God, is able to abase. And there's pride in each and every one of us. I, I heard a story one time about um, a woman back in the days when, when ladies would wear hats to church. Um, she had a hat made, and um, on one side of this big hat, it had all kinds of flowers and feathers and feather frilly things. And so um, she, she took it to church, and she came back to the, the man who made the hat, and she said, uh, I want you to change the hat. She said, all of the flowers and all of the feathers and frilly things on this side of the hat, I want you to move it to the other side of the hat. And he was like, 
why? And she said, well, where I always sit in the same place in church, and where I sit in church, no one can see the right side of the hat that is pretty and frilly and, and has all of those things. Listen, we laugh at that and we chuckle at that, but um, if the truth be known, there's a little bit of that in all of us. I, I heard a story one time about a, a, a missionary who led someone to the Lord, and he was being discipled, and he saved up his money, uh, this is in Africa, and he bought some shoes for church. He was all excited about his new shoes. And the, uh, uh, the person that made the shoes said, listen, they're going to squeak for a couple weeks. But they, 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 they'll stop squeaking after some time, after, after they get worn in. After two weeks, he brought the shoes back. And he said, um, I, I want you to give me new shoes. And the, and the guy said, why? He said, my shoes don't squeak anymore. He said, when they squeaked, everybody would look at my brand new shoes. They don't squeak anymore. And so I want you to give me some new shoes that squeak. Listen, uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of squeak in, each, in every one of us, right? It's pride. It's pride. Yeah. And so we see before us a selfish motive. But then notice with me, number two in our story, in our text, a spiritual moral. We see a spiritual moral, verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, exercises authority or dominion or tyranny or oppression over them. And their great ones, what do they do? Well, they do the same thing. They exercise authority upon them. In other words, out there in the world, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Out there in the world, there's nothing but ambition. And that is doing whatever I can to climb the corporate ladder, even at me, if it means stepping on people to get there. But look at verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. It shall not be among you. Here's the point. There's no place for ambition in the body of Christ. Ambition is an ardent desire for rank, fame, or power. Here's the point. There's no place for competition in the body of Christ, as we've already heard a few times today in the preaching. C.S. Lewis said, pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride has gone away. When I was a kid growing up in New England, I grew up in Maine and New Hampshire, and we would get a lot of snow, at least back then we did, before global warming hit. Anyway, uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And, um, and, and we would have um, these huge snow piles, I mean, like taller than this, and we would play something that many of you have, play, have played called King of the Mountain, right? And King of the Mountain was a great game. I mean, you would, you would do it, you'd scrap and bite and kick and fight and do whatever you could to get to the top, and you would be up there for about five seconds, and then somebody would throw you down, and then that was just the constant thing, right? There's no place for that in the body of Christ, right? It's a fun game when you're a kid, but it's not so fun when you get older. And so one young minister was preaching uh, on this topic and he said this, he said, do you know, friends, we are all fighting for the top in the church, but there are so few fighting for the towel to wash each other's feet. Verse 43 says, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be a great among you shall be your minister. We've talked about that word already this morning. Verse 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And that brings us to point number three this morning, a supreme model. 
We see a selfish motive, a spiritual moral, and then look before us here at our supreme model, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Notice the word even. The word even. Even God's Son. Even God. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is God. We could say this, even deity came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Truly, Jesus is the supreme model. Very quickly, just as an illustration, would you hold your place here in Mark and look with me, if you will, at uh, John chapter 13. We see a, an illustration of Jesus being a supreme model of servitude and ministering. We notice in uh, verses 1 through 5 that Jesus served his disciples. And, and just three quick points here, and, and this really could be another sermon, but first of all, Jesus served during a difficult time. We find from John 13 that Jesus takes away all excuses for serving. It says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. Jesus served during a difficult time. Jesus didn't take a break from service. Jesus did not use uh, this time in his life where things were the, he's about to go to Gethsemane, uh, his hour of pressure and, and uh, pressing, and, and yet he still serves. <laughs> What, what an illustration, what, a, what an example, what a supreme model. Jesus served during a difficult time. Number two, Jesus served regardless of his position. Look at verse number three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. If anyone needed to be served at that moment, it was Jesus. If anyone deserved to be served during that time, it is Jesus. And so Jesus served during a difficult time. He served regardless of his position. And now get this, this one's convicting. Jesus served his enemy. Verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So what does Jesus do? Verse 4, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. By the way, what an illustration and picture of Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven and setting aside uh, all that he had there to come to earth to minister to us. He laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I often wonder if Peter... Of course, he wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 5, 5. He said, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I wonder if Peter remembered what Jesus did for him when he washed his feet. And so... Go back, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. As we begin to wrap this up, we want to just remind each and every one of us 
that there's no place for ambition and competition in the body of Christ. Jesus said in Mark 10, 43, but so shall it not be among you. We need to work hard. We need to labor. We need to show effort in emulating service, not selfishness. We need to promote others, not self. We need to exercise a humble spirit and not a haughty spirit. Robert Morrison was a missionary to China. Many of you know that. And he wrote to his friends in England asking for an assistant. He needed some help. In response, a young man from the country offered himself to go. After an interview, the members of the board decided that though he was an earnest Christian, he was too rough and unpolished, and they gave him this decision. We do not think you fit to be a missionary. How would you receive that? That would be a little bit difficult to swallow. We do not think you fit to be a missionary, but if you would like to go out as a servant to the missionary, we will send you. (laughs) After hearing this answer, he said, well, sir, if the gentlemen don't think me fit to be a missionary, I will go as a servant. I am willing to be a hewer of wood and a drawer of water or do anything to help the cause of my heavenly master. He was sent out as a servant, but soon he became a missionary and turned out to be Dr. William Milne, one of the best missionaries that ever went to that country. Wow. I will go as a servant. I want to leave with just three questions, and I want you to know ahead of time that these questions are for me, okay? If they're a help to you, I I hope they are. But uh, just three takeaways from this text, three applications, just to, um, to put it where we live today. Question number one, do I have any conflict in my life? Do I have any conflict in my life? Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh what? Contention. If everywhere I turn in my life or in ministry or in family, it's constantly like this. Just conflict after conflict after conflict. Maybe, just maybe, it's because I have pride in my heart and in my life. Now, certainly not all conflict comes about because of our pride. Certainly we know that to be true. But as I look at the 15 years that I was a pastor uh, in Mount Vernon, uh, and by the way, I was going to say this about Pastor Layman. My pastor is here today. I have it in my notes to say it. It's right there, Pastor Layman. I wasn't trying to ignore you, I promise. Um, But uh, I praise the Lord for Pastor Layman. He's now my pastor, and uh, he's doing a wonderful job there in Mount Vernon. And I praise the Lord for him and his friendship and his faithful testimony. I really do. But uh, when I was a pastor 15 years in Mount Vernon, Ohio, Uh, I can look back at times in my life where there was constant conflict and often, not always, but often it was because uh, Bill Fennell did not have the right attitude about Bill Fennell. So do I have any conflict in my life? Here's another question. Number two, am I experiencing joy in the ministry? A life of service is a life of joy. I studied joy one time and, and, and just from one aspect, looked at it from a dictionary definition of the, of the word, and it was a fascinating study, I found that joy, there's three elements to joy. Joy is an emotion. We know that, right? You can be sad, you can be mad, or you can be glad. So it's an emotion. We know that. Joy is an emotion of, number two, excitement based on two things. Something we possess or something we look forward to. 
Now let that sink in for just a moment. I believe, and I no doubt would, would assume you would agree, that based on just that definition, only a true blood-bought child of God can experience sincere, true joy. Why? Because the greatest thing we possess is Jesus. And the greatest thing we will look forward to is spending eternity with Jesus. And if there's anyone that ought to be joyful, it is a blood-bought child of God. Amen? And yet so many Christians have so little of it. But when I'm doing what God's called me to do, not worried about anyone else, just my ministry and doing what God's called me to and and serving the Lord, there is joy in serving Jesus. Jesus, the Lord, is the source of joy. The Lord is uh, uh, the, sustains our joy. And according to the Bible as well, the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our, our strength. The joy of the Lord keeps us strong. It keeps us keeping on, as we've heard about today in the sermons. Uh, there, there's joy in serving Jesus. And then, and then number three. So is there any conflict in my life? Well, I need to look inwardly to see that there's no pride. There's no selfishness. There's no me first attitudes in my life. Number two, am I experiencing joy in the ministry? We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through valleys. We're going to go through fiery furnaces. We're going to go through storms, just like the disciples. But um, even though we, we may even go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Right? And so am I experiencing joy in the ministry? And then number three, and lastly, this one is so convicting to me. Am I content to be treated like a servant? Am I content to be treated like a servant? You know, we as preachers are funny sometimes because we say, well, I'm just a servant of the Lord until someone treats us like a servant. Then we don't want to be a servant of the Lord anymore. I I say to my wife sometimes, and forgive me, pastors, um, uh, I've been doing what we're doing now for going on seven years. um, But I'll say to my wife sometimes, I'll say, hey, I, I called that pastor again. I've called him like 12 times and he hasn't called me back. And... <laughs> Seven years doing what I'm doing, and I've always wanted to say that in front of a group of preachers. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, but I, I'll say to Amy, I'll say, uh, I, I called that guy again. He hasn't called me back. And I'll say this tongue in cheek. I'll, I'll say, don't they know who I am? I mean, I'll say that to her. And she just rolls her eyes, you know. She just rolls her eyes and like, yeah, I'm sure they do. And, uh, and so, um, you know, we, we love to be a servant of the Lord until we're not treated exactly like we think we ought to be treated. Uh, this morning I was reading Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. Listen to these verses in regards to this idea of being treated like a servant. Galatians 6, 3, for if a man think, he, uh, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, just stay in your lane. Just run your race. Do what God's called you to do. And at the very end, Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Recently, I've been studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and these words, many of us know them well. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, what are the last three words? 
we faint not. I've been studying that uh, for the last two and a half weeks, uh, this text. And 2 Corinthians 4, as you know, is, it's, it's, um, if you look at the context of it, it, it starts way back in chapter 2 and goes all the way to chapter 3. I mean, it's just uh, it, it's one big theme here. And, you know, God has given each of, and every one of us a ministry. Um, it's called the ministry of the Word. It's called the ministry of the New Testament. It's called the ministry of the Spirit. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. And so we have, we have this ministry that God has given to us. And sometimes, I know I was there, often I would complain about the ministry that God gave to me. By the way, um, none of us, I don't believe, have been given a church like the church of Corinth. I don't think we have anything to complain about. But, uh, may, and maybe you have, I don't know. But, um, you know, we, we, we don't have, uh, you know, uh, Carnal Corinth Baptist Church. So uh, we don't have anything to complain about. But, but here's, here's what has spoken to me. Let me read the verse again. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and praise the Lord for the ministries God's given to us. As we have received mercy, we faint not. As we have received Mercy. Mercy is God giving us what we, um, giving us, uh, you know, not giving us what we deserve. So salvation is God's demonstration of mercy. But wait a second, Pastor. <laughs> the ministry God's given us is also something we, we, we don't deserve. I mean, God, God has so blessed us in giving us the privilege of being in the ministry. And I get in trouble, no doubt you get in trouble, when we start thinking and feeling, I deserve better. I don't deserve better. You don't deserve better. You know. And so as we have been given a ministry, we faint not, yes. But as we've been given mercy, we faint not. Because we're just servants of, of the Lord. In 1878, a gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Samuel Brengel graduated from Bible college and was offered to pastor the three largest churches in America. He heard about William Booth, and some of you have heard this story, and he decided to go over to England and help William Booth. And so he said no to the three largest churches in America and decided to go and help William Booth. And when he gets there, long story short, he said to William Booth, what do you want me to do? I mean, this is a great preacher. This is a great theologian. This was a smart, intelligent man. William Booth looked at him and said, after all of my soldiers go to bed, I want you to stay out in the hallway and I want you to shine their shoes, blacken their boots. He was discouraged. Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know what I deserve to be doing? I mean, I should be preaching. I should be leading. I should be teaching. And then this thought came to him. The Lord whispered in his heart of hearts, I wash their feet. You can shine their shoes. I wash their feet. You can shine their shoes. And so may God help us uh, to work in our heart of hearts about having a me-first attitude. May we shine some shoes today. May we wash some feet May we run our race. May we stay in our lane. May we find our joy in serving Christ and Christ 
alone in the ministry that he has given to us, a ministry that is a demonstration of his mercy because we don't deserve anything. And praise the Lord, he hasn't given us what we do deserve. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word this morning. Lord, um, you know my heart. Uh, so often uh, when we uh, teach and preach, especially to preachers, we are just reminding of things that we already know. But Lord, as iron sharpeneth iron, it's a joy to fellowship one with another today and to um, glean uh, from these uh, men who have already preached and to fellowship. We thank you again, Lord, for the ministry that you have called each and every one of us. Thank you for loving us and showing grace and giving us a mercy, uh, or giving us a ministry. And then, Father, thank you for not giving us what we deserve. We thank you for your mercy in our ministries as well. We love you, and thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.